When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Dive in on God and watch the tape from Cleveland.com. Doug Maurice, Scott Patsko, Ellis Williams. We were so rusty last week, I forgot to do the intro. I was like, do I have like a thing I say? I'm just like, oh, it's a podcast again. But no, I have a thing I say at the beginning and at the end, so I'm back to saying it. I know nobody cares about that except me. I've been ending pod. I've been ending the Ohio State podcast the same way for seven years. And then it's like Nathan Baird started here and he tried to end it a different way one time. And I was like, you're off the podcast. You have to end it the same way every time. So we dive in on this podcast. We dive in on Gotta Watch the Tape. We are going to use the Chiefs game to teach us. Because football games, two things can happen. You win or you lose. That's important. But you learn, children. You learn about your team. So first half of the podcast, Ellis Williams. Hey, what did we learn about the Browns defense from that game? And how does it apply going forward? Starting with Houston this weekend. Then Scott Patsko's second half. What did we learn about the Browns offense? And we still haven't learned quite everything because still no Odell. Didn't play last week, will not play this week. But let's start with the defensive side of the ball. New guys, a lot to learn. Ellis Williams, dive in. I got to watch the tape. All right. So the premise of this dive essentially is going to be discovering who the Browns' number two linebacker is. And after watching the Chiefs game, rewatching the Chiefs game, rewatching a rewatch of the second half, you, you find out pretty quick and going through PFF data and snap counts, you find out pretty quickly that the Browns have a linebacker to dilemma. To be clear, it's they're in a better spot than they were last year. I would say last year, they just had a linebacking dilemma in general, right? Yes. Yeah. This, this, so listeners just to ease, this is not going to just be a retread of what we were going through last year. This is a Browns linebacker room that has improved. And now I just see a linebacking two dilemma that is, I'd say marinating in hope rather than hopelessness from a year ago. But before we unpack that, let's confirm a few things about Joe. Joe with defense. I, I, I just, I just need to interrupt. There's bad news here. The bad news is the option of bringing back BJ Goodson to solve this issue is off the table. He has signed. With yeah. He's the not Jets. in Finland. He, yeah, he's not in Finland anymore. No, they came. <laughs> they put him on. They came right to Helsinki. They sent the private jet to Helsinki. Boom. He's in New York. So, Ellis, I don't know if that's maybe where you would have let us let us eventually. Andrew Barry, get on the phone to your guy, BJ Goodson, off the table. They've got to find solutions on the current roster. And they have them and they have them. And before we unpack that, let's confirm a few things about this Joe Woods defense that we speculated, but is now proven true. Uh, Browns are going to play five defensive backs over three linebackers. We, we've known that since last year, and it was, again, the case in week one. Even after losing Ronnie Harrison, uh, Woods didn't deviate from his plan. Uh, slot, corner, hybrid, cross-trained safety, MJ Stewart played 60 of the 63 defensive snaps. Uh, Woods wants to – I know, right? Woods wants to rush four, drop seven most often. If there's a blitz, it's often in the A or B gap from either linebacker. Uh, the Browns game plan was a bit vanilla against the chiefs. I'm starting to think that's how woods will play this year because he really counts on his front creating pressure and having sound coverage behind it. So my gotta have it question of the week. We'll see if that catches on my, again, my gotta have it question of the week. You gotta get that sponsored. Hey, Hey, companies in Cleveland sponsor the gotta have a question of the week. Like, like it's like, I don't know. Get like a little, like a light beer or something. Maybe like fast food. I guess something. God, I have a question of the week with Ellis Williams. So you like that. And I, I can sell it around Crocker here. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that. But as I said, who's the Browns number two linebacker? It's clear. Anthony Walker isn't coming out off the field, much like BJ Goodson a year ago, though Walker, a clear upgrade. Uh, just by looking at him, you can tell the tape. You see him moving sideline to f- sideline quicker. Uh, he played 62 of the 63 snaps. The only snap he missed, JOK replaced him as the solo backer in the Browns dime defense. 
the rest of the snaps, the Browns play a base four two five scheme. And the snaps, aside from Walker, the number two linebacker snaps were spread out pretty evenly between Mac Wilson, Sony Takitaki, Malcolm Smith, and JOK. So before we get into that snap distribution and PFF grades, uh, any general observations, comments from what you guys saw from the linebacking core? You know, it was an explosive game on Sunday. And any any thoughts on on what you saw from Walker and company? Amigo, because I got thoughts. Oh, he's locked and loaded. No, I, I mean, I, I was, I brought up my notes. I knew we'd be talking about linebackers uh, and things that some of the things I wrote down was on that second drive for the chiefs and the uh, you know, JOK shooting through and uh, stopping. I don't know who the running back was on that play, but uh, stopping him a yard short of the first down. Um, Anthony Walker getting outside, kind of running yep. that, yep. that screen to four, four yards, things like that. I mean, both those guys, and really it was mostly Walker and then like JOK, not so much the other linebackers, but I did see that. And obviously Troy Hill and JJ3 behind them, we might get to them later, but just the overall speed of this defense and their ability to keep plays from becoming explosive plays, you know, and, and a couple of times that happened with Tyree Kill carrying the ball. So that's, that's a big deal. Now in zone near the goal line, mm. I they had Malcolm Smith out there trying to yeah, we'll, keep track we'll, of Travis we'll get to that. Kelsey. <laughs> uh, it happened twice. I hope that doesn't happen again all season long. I don't know why that – look, I know he's a rookie. JOK's guy, and Stefanski even said he's got things to clean up. He's learning just because we see him run real fast and make a play doesn't mean he's doing everything they want out there. But I got to believe that when they're near the goal line and they're playing a good tight end, they're going to have a little more speed on the field. Then Malcolm Smith uh, being able to kind of close on those kinds of things, but he's a guy who's got experience. Joe Woods, I'm sure, is confident that he knows where he should be. It's just there seems to be there's a gap there between where he should be and what he's supposed to do once he's there. I'm going to say, number one, I'm going to guess the answer to who is the number two linebacker is not Malcolm Smith. I think I think. I don't know who the right answer is, but I think I know who the right answer is not. And the other thing is, I remember in 2011, crazy year at Ohio State, they had this freshman linebacker who didn't exactly know where to go all the time. But even if he didn't know where it was going, he got there fast. And the whole year were like, why isn't that guy playing more? Play him, play him, play him. And it was like, ah, he doesn't, he's got to learn. He's got to learn. And it was like, please put him on the field. And it was Ryan Shazier. And it was like, can we just, Get Pat. He's so much better than everyone else. Why do we have to wait for him to to know exactly where he's supposed to be? Just let him solve things. And it just reminds me, right, that when you have just a a linebacker whose athleticism and playmaking ability is such a step beyond, my instinct is like, I don't care if he's in the wrong gap. Who cares? Half the time you're in the wrong gap and you accidentally force a fumble, right? Like that's – I know – it's in the NFL. It's not college. You can't do that exactly. But there's some of that where I would be willing to forgive, I don't know, a decent amount of stuff for the potential upside. So I'm very curious, Ellis, where you're going to land here, because there's a, obviously a push and pull. And this is why Joe Woods makes the big bucks. Yeah, similar situation. Oh, talkie talkie. What? Who is that? That the ghost of Sioni talk. Uh, this is what is this gonna be one of those things where we just chop up the linebackers? We we're gonna take Sioni Taki Taki's elbows and Mac Wilson's hips and JOK and like make the perfect linebacker because maybe that would work. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad you said that, Doug, because in a way, that's what the Browns seem like they were trying to do on Sunday. Uh, l- let's get in, let's get into the snap counts, and, and really, here's where I'm gonna end the conversation with Anthony Walker. He's not coming off the field, he's their guy. Um, patrolling the middle of the field, wearing the green dot. Uh, he had a 59.6 PFF grade, targeted uh, three times, allowed three receptions for 34 yards. Doesn't matter. Not coming off the field. This is a conversation, again, about the number two linebacker, which the snaps were distributed between four guys. JOK earned 25 snaps. He allowed one reception on one target for nine yards. His PFF grade was 69.5, highest of the next three guys I'm going to name. Mac Wilson. grade. He played 22 snaps, so three less than JOK. Targeted twice, allowed two receptions for 11 yards. 
Sony Taki Taki, uh, surprising. Uh, I don't want to say surprising. He was better in coverage than I anticipated. Uh, and he stay, he remains real sound in his run fits. The things we know he does well, it showed up on tape again. Uh, a 57.1 grade, you know, 17 points better than Mac Wilson. He played 22 snaps, same as Wilson. Targeted once, only allowed one catch, but it was for minus two yards. So when he was on the field, they weren't going after him. And when he allowed that one catch, it, it, it was a negative play anyway. So a big winner today or on Sunday is Sony Taki Taki. And then Scott already got to it. Malcolm Smith, an abysmal 29.6 grade, uh, 17 snaps for him, two targets, two receptions, 19 yards, two touchdowns. That's allowing a touchdown on like 12% of your snaps played. I, I've never seen such a thing, quite frankly. And I, this isn't, I don't want to beat up on Malcolm Smith. We got to remember this is a former Super Bowl MVP. He had yeah. 10 tackles, an interception return touchdown, a fumble recovery, and that, what, like 43 8 victory uh, now would be almost like six or seven years ago against the Broncos. But that's the point. That, that was six or seven years ago. Uh, you can tell when he's on the field, he will, is going to be targeted. And despite his recognition, of a play he does not have the twitch anymore to get to where he needs to be so before i continue and get to some critical down stuff in a process of elimination here and who the browns number two linebacker is we can eliminate malcolm smith from that list i would be i'm not sure why he'd even see the field on sunday but i think that's a a little far to go considering this seems like an organization and, and kevin and joe woods who are loyal and aren't really in a spot to urgently rush him off the field anyway. Say so it's surprising too that, that Malcolm Smith struggled so much in the first game because he was good last year. He gave them what they needed. Uh, he was like top fifteen coverage grade uh, among linebackers last season. Uh, I mean, they, maybe he squeezed the last bit of of you know good performance out of him that year. I, maybe this is just one one game hiccup. Uh, I mean, I expect to see him out there as much as anybody else uh, against the Texans. It's not like they're going to shelve him after one game, especially against the chiefs, but, uh, and also Mac Wilson was just, it was surprising that he struggled out of the gate and didn't really kind of pick up where, where his camp led up. Not that we haven't seen that before <laughs> him have a really good camp and then kind of uh, struggle uh, in the regular season. But yeah, both those guys, you didn't get what you needed from them, but maybe, you know, it's one game. But can I ask a very tangential question for one second, Ellis? Because you've established something here with Anthony Walker. If Jacob Phillips was healthy, would he be taking some of those Anthony Walker snaps? Or is Anthony Walker such an integral part of this defense that it would just be like, we're sorry, Jacob, you've got to go find some snaps somewhere else. Like we cannot take and do not want to take Anthony Walker off the field. I think that's how important he is to to this defense. Okay. I could see Jacob Phillips playing a backup role in that sense and grooming him to eventually succeed Walker. But you can just tell as, as a leader of the defense and the way he carries himself like at the presser today, he is doing a lot for this team, both on and off the field, inside the locker room and making calls. Do you feel similarly that Anthony Walker would be the focal point of this this middle line? Oh, yeah. And I th- Jacob Phillips around? Yeah, I think uh... – if if Jacob Phillips is getting on the field, it might be cutting into Taki Taki snaps more, right? Than than anybody. Okay, okay, yeah. All right, so we're eliminating Malcolm Smith. Pull the chair out. Sorry, Malcolm Smith. There's no chair for you. There's still three guys that are going to go kind of for this one, and that's the thing too. Is there going to be for this number two linebacker spot? Are we going to arrive at a place where there is only one chair, or couldn't there be two chairs? And there, but maybe not three. So where else are we headed? If it's not Malcolm Smith, then what? Yeah, now now we're looking at – let's start with Sony Takitaki. I want to address the Browns' play, and their, specifically their linebacking play, of course, on third down and scoring plays. I'll call them critical downs. Uh, the Browns allowed the Chiefs to convert nine of 13 third downs. Yeah. That tells me two things. First, getting the Chiefs to 13 third, 13 third downs excuse me, is a win. The, the Browns offense only faced seven third downs and converted just two of them. So Cleveland did a decent job limiting explosive plays, of, of course, aside from the huge one. And, you know, on this podcast, how I feel when you say, oh, if you take the big one away, but this is probably the one time I, I I'm confidently can say you take that one big play away and it doesn't really change how well, 
the Browns defense did keeping the chiefs in front of them, forcing them to be more methodical than probably they'd like to and allowing their offense to get back into the game for again, forcing 13 third downs is exactly how you get your field, your offense back on the field twice at the end of the fourth quarter, as they did Uh, woods defense gave Baker Mayfield and the Browns chances. And we got to keep in mind twice. They forced this chiefs offense into kicking situations, two punts and two field goals. That, that is a, if you got, if listeners take away anything aside from who we're going to land on this number two linebacking spot, it's that we saw more of the kicking unit than I would have expected versus Kansas city and rewatching the game. I think that was my biggest takeaway. Yeah, that's a good thing. Now the problem was when the chiefs put the kicking unit on the field, none of them dropped the football. I set you up for that one. Thank you. I'll let it go. That's going to come back every week. I'll let it go at some point. Um, (laughs) So, so that is, I mean, that's because it, again, I sort of joked after this, like it felt like the chiefs in the first drive of the second half, were like trying to keep the Browns offense off the field and they took up half the third quarter, but that in itself is a win, right? You'd rather have them have a 12 play 75 yard drive than a one play 75 yard drive. So like, that's just, that's the deal. And I do think it's important like to find the wins within here, right? Yeah. Because I, I do think for a new defense that, that are, there are some wins to be found. And this is part of it too, Ellis, right? You're sort of laying a point, painting a picture here a little bit of, you know, they're new and they got to get used to playing together, but also like the next time they play the chiefs, whenever that is the personnel may have shifted a little bit because they're going to find out, you know what, that qu- wasn't quite working. And we're going to, we have fixes, they have some fixes on this roster, which when, even when you just barely start being a good team, sometimes it's like, well, these are our 22 starters. And once we get beyond that, I, I don't know, man. And it's like, it feels like they're deep enough now in a couple different spots where, all right. I mean, how many times, seriously, we have four options yeah, that exactly. are legitimate NFL players to be the second best linebacker. There have been times in Brown's history where they had to, they were trying to put three linebackers on the field. They had one linebacker. They had no other options. So like, this isn't, it's an interesting discussion and I think it maybe can cause some frustration until they get to the right answer, but it's nice to have options, man. Yeah, exactly. And that's why, as I began this dive, this linebacker group is now marinating in hope rather than the hopelessness from a year ago. Uh, Let's get to Sony talking. That was like a poem marinating in hope. Can I get that shirt? I, I did. Oh, I did some writing today. That might show up in something that. What is happening, Ellis? Pops up on the website. You are grow, You're growing right before our eyes. If only my mother would tell me that. Thanks, Doug. <laughs> I like to think of myself as your your surrogate podcast father on occasion. All right, go ahead. All right, so let's get to Taki Taki. Uh, he was. I, I went through all thirteen of those plays and documented what linebackers were on the field for for what plays and the results of them. Uh, Taki Taki was only on the field for one of those third down conversions. It, it was a third and one with about ten minutes to play in the second quarter. He was one of the three linebackers on the field. He tried to blitz a B gap on the strong side, but was met by a wall of Chiefs players and several of his own because KC won the push up front. Uh, he was though on the field for Mahomes' five yard scramble touchdown, which we're going to get to when I talk about Mac Wilson. This touchdown had nothing to do with him. He handled his boundary assignment really well. It was a crossing wide receiver that Mahomes uh, looked towards briefly, but Taki Taki stayed on, and and then that forced Mahomes to be in serious retreat mode until he covered forty yards and and crossed the line of scrimmage gliding in by himself uh, where I'm going with Taki Taki's game and, and projecting him forward here is I see him as the Mac Wilson of the run game, or excuse me, the Ma- Malcolm Smith of the run game. So clearly in heavy personnel, he's the go-to guy for, for Joe Woods in this defense. And I think the chiefs game showed that he can grow into expanded role in the passing game. If a lot of those opportunities, now I'm not sure those are coming because of how much the Browns play that four, two, five base defense, but the tape that Sione just put on the field versus the best offense in football has to bode well. Like if we're doing stock up, stock down, I we already went over where Malcolm Smith lands in, in a stock down sense. This is a stock up for Sione Taki Taki. And if the Browns continue to just spread out these linebacker two reps, I expect those to go up. Most importantly, though, as we project this forward to week two, he's going to serve an even more purposeful role as the Houston Texans 
come to Cleveland and are a team that ran it 37 times. So I think an encouraging afternoon for Sione Takitaki and someone that we're going to revisit on Gotta Watch the Tape now, assuming and hoping his role grows in this linebacker room. So were you in on, like, does this, does this discussion surprise you at all, Scott? Or does this fit with you? Of like, yeah, no, Sione Takitaki, he's, he should have a real role that he can fill well for this team. Yeah, I think especially, I mean, last year, he just really grasped onto that, onto that role is, is the, is the guy who's on the field to help stop the run and, you know, good tackler, good run defense. Uh, he was actually one of the best in the league last season defending the run. Uh, and despite his issues in, in pass coverage, he, I mean, he, he found himself in the right place at the right time and actually made some plays uh, on that, you know, against the pass as well. But I, you still, you don't want him out there uh, on third downs very much at least not third and, you know, third and long. So, but yeah, it's, he's one, I mean, he's what he started off the way I was kind of thinking Mac Wilson would that, all right, he, he knows what he's supposed to be. And he had a, he had a good camp and now you roll that in the regular season. It didn't happen for Wilson, but uh, you know, happened for Takitaki. So why didn't it happen for Wilson Ellis? What, what is, what is the deal? Yeah. So a, a perplexing game for, for Malcolm, for uh, Mac Wilson. So he, he was on the field only once for a, a third down conversion. And that tells me that he came off the field on those obvious passing downs and, and some got to have it moments in favor of both JOK and Malcolm Smith. So we can just start there in the way you deploy Mac Wilson. That tells me that the coaches don't have a lot of confidence in him in, in critical spots. That was my first concerning thing. Uh, his run grade according to pff of 63.1 was fine but when you compare that to jok's the rookie had a 17 point better rating uh wilson had one tackle and assisted on two others uh pff didn't credit him with any missed tackles but i noticed two pretty obvious ones on my rewatch once on the left sideline against clyde edwards alaire it was the same play ronnie harrison was ejected on just five snaps in uh, and then I already talked about the Patrick Mahomes five-yard run, but if you rewatch that play, and I advise everyone do it, just because it's a it's a magical play by Mahomes, like he often does. But Mac Wilson is the only player on the field capable, aside from the initial rush. Once Patrick Mahomes goes into panic mode, frantic mode, Mac Wilson is the only player as Mahomes nears the line of scrimmage and it can no longer throw the football that can make a play, and, and Mac just whiffs he over pursues coming down the right side of the field he he does not slow his steps and Mahomes though shifty and, and elusive this is not Kyler Murray this is not Lamar Jackson this is a play that a, a, a linebacker especially one of just how Wilson car- carries himself and views himself in that stature must make as I said he took a poor angle as Mahomes continued outside a simple hesitation and a cut inside left Mac crossed so from the team's already i'd say limited belief in him in week one combated with him just having an opportunity to make a highlight play that shifts the momentum heck you you knocked Mahomes out of the game a year ago you have a chance to do it legally this time and and you miss in in a very key moment those are the type of plays that mac wilson continues not to make and that the next guy we're going to get to, I anticipate making and future opponents, including Justin Herbert, Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson coming up. Scott, you mentioned this, that this happens sometimes, right? There's a camp heroes who then it like, it doesn't translate. Were you on alert that this could be what Mac Wilson was in danger of, or did you sort of think, Hey, he's really showing something here. This dude is going to help this defense. I thought that he was taking a step forward this year because not only was he healthy finally, and I know he had the shoulder thing, but his legs are healthy. He's now has two years of experience under his belt second or, and then he's going into his second straight year in the same defense. And then he had, you know, a very, a camp where he was very visible. Um, He was constantly out there with the first team. He was at Anthony Walker's side on those reps. So I thought that he was going to be like play a larger role that JOK would kind of would eat into some of that, but Mac Wilson would be the guy that he would 
be kind of behind to start. And there was, I went back and I looked at uh, last year's Chiefs game because that was the best game he played. He only had 11 snaps, but he, like, they were all good. And there was one where it was a running play and he, he sidestepped the guy, I think it must have been a guard, trying to block him, gets the line of scrimmage, and then dives sideways and, and takes out the run. It was like this amazing play. Uh, it was for no gain. And I was like, I was looking forward to seeing that again. You know, like that, that's, that's great for Mac Wilson. It's like it, you watch that play and you're like, wow. Um, so, you know, again, like I said with the other guys, this is one game and you hope that this isn't the trend that you don't see a bunch of red on PFF for Mac Wilson again, but, um, but it was kind of surprising. And then the other thing is I'm just starting to think that don't, don't believe anything or read into anything in training camp anymore because there's Donovan Peoples Jones out there with, you know, one target. Uh, and yeah. It, so yeah, who knows? They know nothing. You know what coaches like more than winning football games? It's consistency. Cause that's how you get th- that formula. And you, the play you just described to Mac Wilson a year ago is on the opposite end of the spectrum of the snap or the rep. I just got done describing of Mac. And to me, that comes down to, the epitome of Mac Wilson, you're, you're just not getting consistency. And that has to explain why the, the, the this coaching staff just didn't trust him in bigger spots in this game. I, I, I agree, Scott. I thought he'd be out there more. Anyway, like I would have loved to seen half of Malcolm Smith's reps go to Mac Wilson. And, and that wasn't the case. So if we're setting up a scenario here where Sione Taki Taki does a specific thing in the run game mm-hmm. that he can help this team, are we at the point where we would, even after one game, start to question, does Mac Wilson do anything better than JOK that means he should be on the field instead of JOK? Or are we just heading towards like an area where JOK is kind of like the dude? And then if you need a, a run stop, Taki Taki comes in. That, that's exactly where I'm headed. Let, let's just dive into JOK. This linebacker two spot should belong to him sooner rather than later. Uh, both Kevin Stefanski and Anthony Walker mentioned the rookie played well on Sunday, but also made some mistakes uh, that a rookie would. It was specifically in his reads, or at least from what I noticed. Uh, Walker mentioned JOK not trusting his eyes. Uh, that's what I noticed when you see uh, someone with JOK's natural ability, his quickness and his twitch, being flat footed and, and frozen at times uh, when you have Travis Kelsey going across the middle, there's uh, uh, the, the first, I think the second uh, catch of, of, of a game for Kelsey uh, goes right behind JOK. And you just see him eyes in the backfield uh, looking at Patrick Mahomes and, and being frozen. You never see that from Malcolm Smith, but what you don't see Malcolm Smith do anymore is get to the spot he needs to get to. Now, to bring this back to Mac Wilson, you described it per- per- perfectly, Doug. He is in a similar mold and in a, in a playing the same exact position as JOK. It's just becoming clear that he doesn't do anything better than the Notre Dame rookie. And to me, that's where this is headed. Mac Wilson had an opportunity throughout camp in preseason games. And then this chiefs game to make that type of play. I'm telling you, if he makes that play on Patrick Mahomes, this is a different conversation that, that, that on the highest level, these, these moments, these games come down to those, those chances and he doesn't make it. So now you have to look at the body of work and eventually the consistency and natural ability of JOK is just going to win out. He played in the box, JOK did, on 20 snaps, as did Mac Wilson. Smith took also 16 of those box snaps. Five of those snaps came in the slot. The most of any linebacker was JOK. So that tells me they trust him in the box, just like they would Mac Wilson or any other linebacker. And then you already see his role expanding just slightly with those five slot snaps. And I only expect that to increase and improve as the rookie goes forward. Scott, does it feel like there's any argument on the other side? Like, what is the argument for, ah, wait, wait, wait. Let's keep giving Mac Wilson a decent number of snaps. You know, maybe he had a bad game, whatever. Like, is there a case for that? Or do we at this point kind of know who Mac Wilson is and Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa looks like everything any, everybody expected him to be? The argument for that is this was week one. I, that's probably the best argument you can get. Uh for it that uh, I mean, I don't, like I said, I don't expect them to, to shift and, and JOK is out there getting, you know, 40 snaps against the Texans. Um, 
And the other thing is, you know, we don't know, like clearly there are things that they, they want him to do better. So uh, we don't know all those things because we're not in those meetings, but uh, yeah, I think the best, the only argument I can really make is this week one and, and you see how this team performs against the Texans. And then, then you start having trends, at least the starts of trends. And um, you're not, you're not looking to last season so much anymore. You're, you're able to focus more on this season. You have a bigger you know, sample size, obviously. So Ellis, how quickly do you think we maybe will get to a point where Anthony Walker's out there every down, Jeremiah Wusukormo is clearly the other starting linebacker. Sione Takitaki has a role in run situations. And Mac Wilson and Malcolm Smith are backup linebackers. Like, is that, do you think that's what we're headed toward? And if so, how good do you think that linebacker reality could be? The There's a lot of pressure on JOK to maximize this Browns defense. I know I keep coming back to it, but... I am so confident that that play of Mac getting juked by Patrick Mahomes and allowing that five-yard touchdown is getting played in meetings. It's eaten Mac up. And those are the difference-making moments that JOK can provide. Now, this is all comes down where the pressure on JOK lands is in his development. Joe Woods has already been on the record saying, we don't want to throw too much at this rookie. Malcolm Smith is a serious roadblock in his increasing his workload because let's look at the, the Browns schedule Tyrod Taylor coming up Andy Dalton after that a Kirk Cousins that doesn't really scare you there, there's not a huge reason to think that Malcolm Smith may is going to look as bad as he did on Sunday mm-hmm. which might keep him around in his role and that to me tells should tell Browns fans to continue to be patient with JOK and this it's wide ranging. We need to see, get it. Let's get through this month, but I really could go as far as four or five, six weeks, or or maybe we're talking about JOK not reaching uh, what they envision him as a linebacker until next year. We got to be considerate of that since this is a second round rookie who they're going to ask to do a lot eventually. If that is the case, will the linebacker, group be okay like do you think mac wilson and malcolm smith and sioni takitaki in their roles that they could have some version of this divided snap group and be good be good as good as they need to be to get where they're going to go or would it maybe hold them back i think it holds them back a bit the the injury to jacob phillips of course didn't help i agree with scott that he uh, probably would have flirted more with Taki Taki snaps but it's another athlete that they would have seen get out there and someone they would have who would have been in the same developmental pool as JOK which is why as I began this answer so much pressure uh, for the this defense to hit its full potential lands on JOK and his development specifically by the way you gave us Andy Dalton in week three we're not getting Justin Fields in week three is that the deal we just have to accept that does Matt Nagy look like he's in any rush cool Fun. That, was, that seems fun. Hey, cool. Is Andy uh, Dalton? I'm sure, I'm sure Joe. Yeah, yeah that's sure true. Joe Woods is cool. Too. I'm just thinking about me. It's like Joe Woods is I like, please tell. keep Andy Dalton. <laughs> uh, the Doug Bears. Already know, Doug already has his column written. If Justin Field sees more than 12 snaps, the uh, the Bears and so the Bears are coming to Cleveland in Week Three. Week Four, they're home against Detroit, and it's like, where are you gonna, you know, how are you gonna debut the rookie? It's like home game against in a game you could win. You're not gonna put him out there against Miles Garrett. Um, so I don't think Ohio state and fans of football in Ohio, I don't think we are seeing Justin Fields in week three in Cleveland. Scott, did, did Ellis make you happy or sad with his linebacker talk? Uh, I, don't <laughs> I don't put emotions into it. Scott's like, I'm just here to look at numbers. What are you? I don't what, yeah, whatever. I, I, I agree with what he had to say. So I think uh, happy that I'm on the same page, but uh, you know, I don't know. Just happy that Ellis I, Williams is your teammate. That is exactly. enough to get Scott Pasco through the day. That's interesting, Ellis. I mean, it's like it is. I, I like digging in at a position group like that, like 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 that. We we got a good handle on that, and it, I hope people listening to this. You don't have to keep snap counts yourself, but something be aware of who the linebackers are on the field against Houston in what situations. Like, pay attention to that, and if you note. Ooh, Malcolm's. I mean, I'm telling Tony Romo was like, well, Malcolm Smith was supposed to be near Travis Kelsey. He was not note that, right? See where guys make plays and don't make plays because this is going to be an evolving position. They're good enough right now. As much as we said, they have a bunch of options. They also don't have a gazillion positions that are going to evolve 
It's like, we don't have to watch Joel Batonio evolve. He's going to do the same thing. You know, like this is a really, this might be as interesting as any position on the field for them. Yeah, this is a linebacker two by committee until further notice. And that's why it's going to be so fascinating to follow. All right, that's our dive in on what's going on with the Browns defense. When we come back on Gotta Watch the Tape, Scott Patsko and what we learned about the Browns offense. We'll be back right after this. Doug, Ellis, Scott, Browns offense, three touchdowns in the first three possessions. You guys know that. So how, you know, as, as I think to as much as Scott as we, it was like all the same guys basically back other than a dose of Anthony Schwartz. We were still very curious. What were they maybe going to do differently? What did they do differently? Was it tell us Scott Pasco dive in on got to watch the tape. All right. So let's start off with the passing game. Cause the thing that really stood out to me while I was watching the game uh, and also then looking at some of the numbers afterwards is how many times Baker Mayfield was throwing the ball downfield against the chiefs. His average depth of target, which we're going to refer to as a dot from here on out. So write that down, kids. Uh, it was 10.1 yards. Now, that's not a huge leap from what he did last year. His average was 9.2, but it was a huge leap in a dot in the playoff from the playoffs, which was just 6.2, and especially <laughs> huge uh, from what it was against the Chiefs, which is just 5.4 yards. So it was almost double this time what it was the last time they played the Chiefs. Throwing shorter, like, really made sense against the Steelers because you're trying to get the ball out quick. They got a really good pass rush. That's how you deal with that. That's, that's how the Chiefs dealt with uh, the Browns' pass rush uh, on Sunday. But they kept the target short when they played the Chiefs in the playoffs, even you know, even though they didn't obviously compare to, to what the Steelers had. On Sunday, though, Mayfield, 19 attempts of at least 10 yards or more and includes five attempts of at least 20 yards or more. And by now, you know Anthony Schwartz, was a big uh, beneficiary of that. Uh, he used they used his speed to their advantage. His A dot was a team high twenty four point four yards. David Njoku was number two. He was at twenty point six. If you add up the total intended air yards on the throws to Schwartz, it totaled one hundred twenty four yards. Njoku was one hundred two. Number three on that list was Jarvis Landry with seventeen. So those two guys were, wow. were the downfield threats. Now we remember like Najoku having a good game in the playoffs against the Chiefs. He had four catches on five targets. The average depth of target on those, just 5.2 yards. So it was a big change in how they used him this time around. Uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones, by the way, he was really the only deep threat in that playoff game. His A dot was 23, and that was on one target. Surprise, surprise, he had one target against the Chiefs again on Sunday. I'm really looking forward to seeing the All-22 so I can figure out what the heck he was doing all game, one target on 24 routes. He was out there for 47 total snaps. Uh, so obviously a lot of run blocking for him. But um, anyway. you are so offended by his lack of usage that I am going to start calling you Scott Patsco Jones. It's like you- with Mac Wilson and even more so with, with DPJ, because all we did all training camp was talk about how great he looked and how he was making this leap. And then he comes out and just, you know, I'm not saying he fell flat. He might have been doing exactly what they wanted him to do. You know, uh, Kevin Stefanski just said it was the flow of the game. But I, I don't know if that had been if that had been Beckham out there, they would have gotten him the ball before the fourth quarter. Like they would have found a way. They would have gotten to the end of the first quarter and said, "We have not thrown to Beckham yet. We need to change that." But with Peoples Jones, it, it went all the way to the fourth quarter for some reason. I don't so know. let let me interrupt with something else here that that does matter. And I just want to inform people about it because we don't want to make assumptions about what people do and don't know on this show. It's, this is a tape show. This is a number show. This is a film show. But it's not the thing I like about it is sometimes you can get into that stuff so deep. It's like it's really hard for sort of the average football fan to really understand what's going on. I think you guys do a great job of going deep, but making it very understandable. All 22. There is an all 22 issue in the NFL right now. And if you are part of a certain group on Twitter, this is like, you know, a couple of weeks ago, everybody was talking about like uh, pulling out of Afghanistan. What does it mean or whatever? This is the football version of that. The all 22. Scott, what are we talking about? Why does it matter? And what is happening? Yes, the all 22. So uh, the NFL uh, has something called Game Pass, which 
you can rewatch any game you want. You got to sign up. You got to pay for it. But you can watch any game. You can watch the broadcast. You can watch a condensed version that basically just cuts out everything in between the plays. You can watch a game in like 40 minutes or something. Uh, the, but then there's the uh, the coaches film, but we it's also called the All 22 because you're seeing the plays from behind the line of scrimmage or behind the defense. It's you know when when you see a replay on the broadcast and Tony Romo's diagramming and you see it overhead, you see the whole field. That's what All 22 is. So you really get a good sense of where you know you can see everybody's route. You're not just following the ball like the camera does. You can see everything. So that's what the All 22 is, and it's really helpful for people like us who who kind of try to figure out why things happened. Um, but for whatever reason, and this happened last year too, uh, the L22 was kind of late becoming available. And we are in the middle of week two now, or getting into the second game of the season, and we still have not seen all 22 film on week one games. And people, again, you pay extra for this. Ellis, you are on the verge of marching on NFL headquarters, right? Like this is, this is fundamental to people who break down film to cover a team. I'll be honest, listeners, I have felt naked the past two <laughs> got to watch the tapes we've done not having the all 22. It, it, it's like playing basketball with one hand tied behind your back. You need it. It, 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 it paints a whole picture of what's going on in a football game. And until it's back, I'm going to keep delivering you my best product, but man, am I trying twice as hard. (laughs) I'm on my third diet Coke during this podcast. And if I had to do this podcast without diet Coke, I would. So that's, that's what the all 22 is for you guys. So anyway, we like waited as long as we could. We normally record Wednesday morning for the Thursday pod. We're recording this Wednesday night because we were like, I don't know, maybe the all 22 will come out in the middle of the day. So the NFL is, I mean, people again are paying for a thing they're not getting yet. And anybody who does this is frustrated by it, but it'll get back rolling. Anyway, we soldier on. Scott Patsko, continue with your football discussion. Yeah, and if it works perfectly, we have L22 by sometime on Tuesday. So, but anyways, maybe maybe next week. Anyway, so it wasn't just throwing downfield that the Browns used those deep routes for. They also tried to use them to create space underneath. So everybody remembers the play in the first half where it looked like Jarvis Landy was going to throw a pass. Uh, he kind of curled around Baker and uh, Chubb in the backfield and Baker turned and threw it to him. Schwartz was on the far side of the field and he just sprinted diagonally, just a go route right down the field. Baker was even pointing that way. Like after he threw the ball to Landry, Baker just stood there and pointed downfield. And as you watch that live, I'm thinking, well, I guess they're trying to get it to Schwartz. But if you rewatch it, you realize that that wasn't actually the play. When Landry got the ball, he got it in his left hand, ready to throw. He never looked downfield to Schwartz. He looked back over the other way to Nick Chubb, who was behind a few linemen. And they were ready to do a screen on the other side of the field, hoping that they would have just a ton of room to run. Some of the Chiefs stayed home. That wasn't there. And that's, you know, he ended up tucking it and running it. And that led to that face mask. But that's just an example of how that speed and that just the threat of a deep route or the, and the person who can get down the field and create space can be effective for something that's just shorter uh, or underneath. Uh, even without Odell Beckham Jr., which we found out today they're going to be without him again uh, against, the, uh, against the Texans, the Browns, you know, they're finding ways to stretch the field. And they had success because Schwartz and Ujoku each caught passes of at least 40 yards. Baker, by the way, was three of six on passes of at least 20 yards. Two of those were dropped, according to PFF data. He had a 91.1 passer rating on those throws, which ranked seventh, one, one spot ahead of Tyrod Taylor, by the way, coming to town this weekend. Deep throws, something Baker really improved on over the course of last season. He ranked 28th in passing grade on deep throws through the first eight games, and he had a, a grade of like 60, 60.2, 60. 60.4. He completed like less than 50% of them. Over the second half of the season, his grade was 95.5 on those, which ranked third. Uh, and he completed 53% of them, which was second overall or first among quarterbacks who threw the passes at least 10 times. So he really, I mean, it, forget who it was, whoever came in at some point for San Francisco and played like four games last year. So Baker basically led the league in that. But anyway, so the Browns, that was one big thing that the Browns changed, uh, at least from last season when they played the Chiefs. Now, if they keep 
if they keep their average up over 10, that's, that's going to end up being quite a, a significant uh, difference from last season if they can sustain that over the whole year. Is this an Ellis Williams got to have it reality? Like they have to do this this season to for their offense to level up? It, the offense would have been in huge trouble if Anthony Short's hamstring would have lingered and he somehow is inactive. And then, of course, the surprise Odell inactive. This team desperately need, needed the speed. Uh, we saw it both ver- mostly vertically as Scott's getting into, but but enough laterally as well, uh, really with Jarvis Landry, which comp- again is a compliment and a testament to Anthony Schwartz. This is exactly what they were missing on top of utilizing David and Joku more, which I was happy to see as well. So, and I just want to make sure I caught this right, Scott. You're saying on the Jarvis Landry throw, it was going to be a throwback for a screen to Chubb, but Baker was helping sell the fake by pointing downfield. Yes, that if is... you watch Landry, he never looks downfield. You know, he kind of it takes him a second. He's lefty. He takes him a second to get the ball into his hand, but he never he never looks down there. But Baker's there like a statue, like pointing. You know, like yeah, that's where we're throwing it. Oh my and, god. And, you know, everybody else is on the other side of the field. Like, don't throw it back over here because there's a bunch of Chiefs. So, yeah. That is is great acting. And When my daughter was in fifth grade, she was the white witch in the lion, the witch in the wardrobe. And at some point, she had to point out and say, aha, look in the distance. Here comes whatever. And my father-in-law turned and looked to the back of the elementary school auditorium. And I was like, that is acting. It was like, oh, who's he? It's like, there's no... I think there's a person and a horse coming into an auditorium in an elementary school. That was Baker Mayfield on that play. Yes. All right. So we saw attacking differently. Important. What else different, Scott? Different dudes? Some different dudes? So after the first few plays on Sunday, I tweeted that Ellis probably hated those plays. Andy Janovich <laughs> was on the field for the first one. The my second gears. play was a throw to Nick Chubb. And if you listen to this podcast last week, Ellis really uh, explained why Janovich shouldn't be on the field and they should not throw to Nick Chubb. So, Ellis, what was going down at your place at that point? I'm, I'm curious. Yeah, no, I'm glad you passed it to me real quick. When I saw Andy Janovich take the field for the opening snap, I legitimately facepalmed. <laughs> listeners can hear that. I facepalmed. And, and I promise the the uh, PFF rating backs it up. Uh, this is It's just unlike uh, Kevin Stefanski, Andy Janovich in – Week one, uh, 45.9 PFF rating, 12 plays played, the lowest graded offensive player yet again versus the Chiefs, yet he was out there. I, I can't really explain it aside from he allows them to do exactly what they want, but I, I, I feel like I got a, a case here. I, I feel like I really do. He just he should not be on the field uh, against these uh, aggressive attacking defenses that just move quickly. And Tyron Matthew wasn't even playing. Come on. It was frustrating, Scott. And, and I and I wrote during training camp that like we had so much expectation for what the fullback was going to be prior to last season. It didn't really pan out, but no. you watch those practices and those him and Johnny Stan, they got a ton of reps. And then, yeah, Janivex comes out 11 or 12 snaps. I, I found a discrepancy on how many times he was actually out there. Um, but the official game book, I think, said 11. Eight of those came in the first half and it seemed like they yeah, were all yeah. on that first try. You know, he just did not come. They even threw him a pass. I know they threw my pass and I was really concerned for your well-being at that point, by the way. And uh, what happened, what happened on that drive, Ellis? I can't remember what happened on the drive where he played all the snaps. What was it? Was well, it a touchdown? It did. It did result in six. He dropped, he dropped the pass, by the way. It just, it just. Do we, do we need to have an Andy Janovich bet, a uh, poster bet that's similar to the Carson Wentz poster bet? I'm just, I don't know. Hey, There's probably hey, something to, new to set the do. record. I, I support Andy Janovich's role on this team. He plays a very specific and integral part in the run game, but versus the Chiefs, it's it's ra- wasted snaps. They're not afraid of him. I can't. It makes me so happy to think of the idea of like going into Alice's apartment and there's like a poster of Kobe, a poster of yeah, Andy Janovich, and a poster of Carson Wentz. <laughs> brings me such joy. Oh, my gosh. Oh, okay. All right. A lot of, a lot of questions if that ever happens. <sighs> The big uh, well, three, the big three in Ellis Williams' three. life. <laughs> uh, I'll right, take well, the Tom Brady one down. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get into personnel, though, because as we sit off the um, top, I was looking for ways that this, this offense would be different. So and since this is kind of our first in-season, I know we did the preview thing, but uh, 
in case people are, aren't sure, I'm going to recap personnel, how that works when we say 11 personnel, 12 personnel. First number is running back. Second number is tight end. You assume there are five skill positions on the field. One of them is a tight end. One of them is a running back. The other three got to be wide receivers. So 11 personnel has three receivers, 12 personnel, two tight ends, one running back, two receivers. So it works like that. If you still don't have it, Google it. I'm moving on. So last season, the personnel percentages broke down like this for the Browns. 11 personnel, 44%. 12 personnel, 26%. 13 personnel, 14%, which was the highest in the league. And then with two running back groupings, uh, 21 personnel, 7%. So to put it another way, they were well below the league average for three wide receivers, which was like 60%. Uh, And they were leading the way in formations that used two tight ends or multiple tight ends if you add them all together. So on Sunday... 11 personnel, 42%, basically the same as last year. 12 personnel, 19%. It's like a seven-point swing there, but it's in the same ballpark. 13 personnel, 16%, pretty much pretty much the same deal as last season. 21 personnel, two running backs, one tight end. That's where the difference showed up. That 7% that they didn't use uh, on, on 12, it showed up with two running backs, one tight end. They used it 20% of the time against the Chiefs. Now, they they say 17 plays. Janovich is out there for 11 or 12. And I think they're counting tight ends lining up in the backfield when they do this. So Bryant too. did that a few times. Um, and, and the Browns, obviously, they, they do that quite a bit. So overall, though, 21 personnel, 20%. Whatever the case, the Browns were more successful with 21 personnel on Sunday than they were last season. They had a success rate of 65% when they used it. And that broke down to 60% success rate when they passed, 71% success rate when they're running. And real quick, success rate is basically just getting 60% or 40% of what you need on first down, 50% of what you need on second down, 100% on third down. No, I had that wrong. 60, 40, 40, 60, 100. Yes, 40, 60, 100. First down, second down, third down. It's basically getting enough yards to make each successful successive down and easier down to, to convert. So where was I? 60% and then 71%. So Baker was eight of 10 on those plays. Hmm. He did pretty well. And they rushed for two touchdowns in that personnel grouping. So obviously that was working real well. Last season, it was really a different story. They only had a success rate of 44% when using 21 personnel. Uh, so that was a big change that was noticeable. I wondered, like you heard a lot on our podcast over the summer that they might really lean into 11 personnel this year. That really wasn't the case in this game. Uh, what they did is really just get better at things that they're already doing. And 21 is a good example of that. The other personnel grouping that saw a big jump was 13, one running back, three tight ends. When the Browns used that uh, on Sunday, their success rate was 86%. Baker was seven of seven passing out of it. And they had a rushing success of 71%. So even though the Browns, the league in 13 personnel last season they, they their success rate was 48 percent. they just it really made me wonder like are they going to keep trying to do that so much or are they going to maybe lean into a different way of doing it but clearly they worked on it they they worked out some kinks and and it worked for them against the Chiefs so anyways those are some things that, that really stood out personnel wise in week one everything kind of matched up in a lot of ways with last season uh and they got better where where they struggled, which I think at the end of the day, that's, we talked about this offense evolving. That's a great way to evolve. Just get better or what you already do. So two things I want to ask Scott first for you, if Odell Beckham jr. Was healthy, would they have played more 11 personnel? Does that absence of one guy you think change the game plan or were they going to do what they were going to do? I don't think it changed the game plan because they really didn't make that decision or at least they told us they didn't make that decision until game day. Okay. Uh, okay. Maybe they knew all week that he wasn't going to play and they decided to wait. I don't think he makes that change because if he's on the field, Anthony Schwartz probably isn't out there as much, you would think. So and I don't think that really had a drastic impact on it. I'm okay. sure they had this, this plan all along. All right. Second question, Ellis, for you. I mean, it's just basic football, right? Run out of, run out of passing formations and pass out of running formations. Is there something about Kevin Stefanski and Baker Mayfield that makes them so successful throwing the ball with three tight ends on the field? Like it, 
is there something inherent here? Is it Baker's skill set? Is it the way the defense plays him? Why why did that work so well? I think it, it just it explains how talented the tight end room is in Cleveland. You, okay. you got three guys who uh, are, quite frankly, some of the best at their position in run blocking, uh, specifically Austin Hooper and David Njoku. Uh, and then we already know what they are as receivers. And, and Harrison Bryan was a basically a slot receiver his senior year in college. So I think that gives them a, a, a complete unpredictability despite being in 13. I mean, come on, it's, it's gotten to the point where even w- when they're in 13, you almost expect them to pass, Yeah, but it, but it doesn't matter. Again, that's how you have uh, equally talented run blockers and receivers in that personnel. Okay. We've got to figure out now what this means for the Houston Texans on Sunday, right? Scott, that's the next step here. How do we take this going forward? We will do that next after this quick break. I've got to watch the tape. Doug Ellis, Scott, we're toying with a Carson Wentz poster bet update every week. Uh, The bet that Ellis and I have, if the Colts finish with a better record than the Browns, Ellis has to hang a poster in his house that says Carson Wentz sucks. If the Colts finish with a better record, then I have to hang a poster that says I love Carson Wentz in my house. So that's where we are on this. And Carson Wentz, so far, I'm not saying forever, so far, I'm looking pretty good. Now they both lost, but the Browns lost in a better way than the Colts (laughs) did. So anyway, we will keep you updated on the Carson Wentz poster bet through the, uh, throughout the season, but you know, we're not here to mostly talk about posters. Although I like talking about posters, Scott, there's a game on Sunday. There is. Let me check. Yep. There is. Is there, are we going to see what we saw against Kansas city or would there be some reason that, Oh no, the game plan will be quite different offensively for the Browns this time. I spent a lot of today trying to figure out what does all this mean against the Texans. And I'm still trying to figure that out because the Jaguars, which is the Texans week one opponent, they, they don't play anything like the Browns. They got three wide receivers on the field, like 75% of the time. They ran zero, zero plays with multiple running backs on the field. They ran 14 plays with multiple tight ends, which is less than half of what the Browns did last week. The Texans defense was bad last year. They were 30th in DVOA. They gave up uh, the most rushing yards in the league, I believe. But they made changes at like all three levels. Other than uh, one linebacker and basically the secondary, it's pretty much, it's it's the front front seven is is almost entirely new. So you can't really judge this group by last year. They even have a new uh, coordinator, Levy Smith, running things. Uh, by the way, it might actually look like a Browns reunion out there because, you know, we were talking all week about Tyrod Taylor coming back to Cleveland. But the defense has Christian Kirksey, Terrence Mitchell, Tavier Thomas, Eric Murray, Vincent Taylor. All those guys played for the Browns at some point over the past three years. Kirksey, Mitchell, and Murray should be starting. So the Browns fans will get to see them really well. But as for how they play, first off, it doesn't look like Baker Mayfield is going to be blitzed very much on Sunday. Houston blitzed just 11% of the time last week, which ranked 28th. Six total plays against Trevor Lawrence. Oh. Which is kind of surprising. Um, mostly they rush with four players. The Texans only got pressure on Lawrence on 13 of his 52 dropbacks. He was sacked once. He had to scramble no times. That bodes well for the Browns having time to stretch the field and, and throw down field like they did against the Chiefs. Uh, obviously, Baker Mayfield's behind a, a really good line, too. But if the Texans are just relying on that group to get pressure against the Browns, I'm not sure how it improves on what little they could do against Trevor Lawrence. You know, when you add in the Browns offensive line, Browns tight ends had seven catches for 10 targets against the chiefs coverage is something Texas linebackers do not do well and haven't done well. Kirksey had a good game. He had a really good game on Sunday, but he's great at replacement level in coverage like each of the past five seasons. Uh, Zach Cunningham, who is one of the lone returners, uh, weak side linebacker in their scheme. He had a PFF coverage grade of 27.5 against the Jags. He has never graded above 63 in any of his previous four seasons. So those 12 and 13 personnel plays that the Browns like to run really have a chance to be productive when they're passing to their tight ends, especially out of those uh, personnel groupings. The Texans are the team that Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt combined for 230 yards rushing last season. That's when the whole, can they both get thousand yards conversation really got a kickstart. 
there it was the first time since 1966 that two Browns running backs topped 100 yards in the same game. Now, like I said, it's mostly a brand new front seven. Uh, we don't yet know how really good they are against the run. They gave up 76 yards rushing to the Jaguars, who are down by 20 by halftime. By the way, so you're you're not you're not really sticking with the run game at that point. But running backs Carlos Hyde, James Robinson, they combined for almost five yards per carry. So there is that. And those guys aren't Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. Another former Brown. We're just talking about go. Carlos Hyde. I just, I was just yeah. reminded of, we're talking all about how like when Tyrod Taylor was blocking Baker Mayfield. And I just was remembering <laughs> when Carlos Hyde uh, was blocking Nick Chubb. And then they finally got rid of Carlos Hyde what? and they made Hugh what? Jackson play Nick Chubb. Oh, the old. I can't days. believe that. I can't <laughs> believe that was a thing. What are Nick Chubb and Carlos Hyde going to talk about? Are they going to talk? They're going to meet at 50 yard line and say, uh, hey, hey. Well, he's on, yeah, he's on Jacksonville, but that's just when I heard his name. Oh, that's right. I'm sorry. He's on Jacksonville, not on Houston, but just, just Ooh, thinking about that. Did they talk that. during the preseason game? Well, well we, we missed that story. We, we missed the, the Nick Chubb Carlos Hyde reunion. Anyways, their longest run was, was, was 13 yards. So that five yards per carry wasn't really skewed by a bunch of explosive plays either. So, hmm. anyways, I, I mean, I, I watched tape today of, of the Texans defense and it's just you come away from that thinking the Jaguars are bad you watch their defense and all you're thinking about is the Jaguars and how little Trevor Lawrence has to work with so I think I mean whatever personnel grouping the Browns are going to use I would expect running the ball to be productive against the Texans there isn't there isn't anything that I came away from that game thinking that they're going to shut down things that the Browns really like to do so Ellis I think we all need to be careful of this in the media this year with the high expectations that the Browns have. I don't yeah. want to put like undue pressure on a team when you're just trying to win a game. But is it possible that this is one of those games where the Browns just put it on them and we get a sense of like this, uh, maybe what a Browns off. I mean, what more could they do than they scored three touchdowns in their first three drives at Kansas city last week. So that was, they did, they put it on the chiefs. But is this an opportunity for just to be like, man, this is what the Browns offense looks like when it's really working, even though Odell's not going to be playing. If the Texans don't alter their defensive game plan or throw some variations, some change-ups in there, I think this is going to be a very comfortable day for Baker Mayfield. I say that because uh, Lovey Smith is the, the defensive coordinator in Houston. He's still playing that Tampa two zone defense, which we, we you know, we documented a year ago, how, how Baker Mayfield shreds zone defense. On top of that, Kevin Stefanski coached against that Tampa two when Lovey Smith was the head coach in Chicago from I think 06 to like 12. So seven years in there. And, and, you know, Kevin was inside the Vikings building being everything from a assistant quarterback coach to the running back coach to tight end coach, but he knows it. Yeah, I sounded very Minnesota in there, didn't I? Coach? That I, I didn't want to say it. <laughs> yeah, I, I he was that, this coach, that, and like, then he was that coach. Yeah, that's the first time I've ever caught myself doing that. But. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out the hometown, H Town. Um, not Houston, by the way. That's funny. But because Lovey is about his base defense and his philosophies, I don't think they get out of that. The reason you play that Tampa two and probably against. Uh, Trevor Lawrence is you anticipate the rookie taking off you want for the most part all seven eyes on the quarterback so he can't scramble as much we know Baker Mayfield's not not taking off which again gives Lovey reason to switch it up if they don't this is a Baker Mayfield get right game and an opportunity for and not get right as in he played poorly in Kansas city. I'm just saying shaking off those last two drives and having a chance to come out there in those first 15 scripted plays and really move the ball downfield. The Browns should take care of business against a defense that has a bunch of defensive parts. The Browns shipped out and a defense that it seems pretty predictable. At least, you know what you're going to get. So in the end, is, is that where you are, Scott? Like this is, that's what you're thinking the Browns could do offensively. They could do it and they should do it, but I don't know if like the next team they blow out under Kevin Stefanski will be the first team they've blown out. They, they don't, this team has not won comfortably. Maybe, I mean, maybe the New York giants game. It's a good point. But, you know, even like Washington was the other 14 point win and they were losing in the fourth quarter of that game. We've seen them jump out to big leads multiple times including last week and they've had, you know, those teams storm back and the next thing you know, you're 
having to recover an onside kick, you know, in the final couple minutes. Yeah, they should blow this team out, but will they do it? I, I don't know if I'm ready to predict that until they actually blow somebody out. And we'll get into all of this more on our Friday Browns preview show. But part of it is like they've had games where the offense has put up numbers, but like the, the defense didn't hold up its end last year, like Dallas last year, right? The Baltimore shootout. If this defense is substantially better, we've seen, I mean, they blew Tennessee off the field early last year, early last year in that game, right? That there are times when we've seen the offense click, but then they really have let teams back in the game. Maybe this is the improved defense. The offense comes out and does what it's going to do. The defense shuts them down and you do get that blowout, which has been kind of rare in this, this Kevin Stefanski era of success. All right. I think that told us something about Kansas city. I think it got us ready for the Texans on Sunday. Make sure you're reading cleveland.com slash Browns really every day. There's every day there's multiple things, but there's going to be, I guarantee you, if you go to cleveland.com slash Browns, there's going to be at least one thing that you read that day from our Browns coverage team. You're like, man, that was really interesting. That really helped me understand or be entertained or be informed about the football team that I care about so much. We love you guys. Listen to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. It's five days a week. We really hope if you're listening to this, that means you're subscribed. So you don't miss any episode because we're pumping it out and we love our podcast audience. And again, a great time to be a Browns insider. You get it all. You get all this access to all the stories on the site. You get texts from all these guys, our Browns experts. It's just a great way to get involved. Go to cleveland.com slash Browns and sign up there. Um, we, we just really enjoy having you guys along for the ride. So make sure you catch that pregame podcast that will drop on Friday. We always love you guys being part of Gotta Watch the Tape for now. For Ellis Williams and Scott Patsko, I'm Doug Maurice. Thanks for diving in on Gotta Watch the Tape. 